And thank you for accompanying me in worship. What a, it's always sort of a mutual encouragement to sing together and to be buoyed up as we stand together before the Lord. This is a foreshadowing of heaven and a foretaste of what we'll do for all of eternity. And we, it's our pleasure to worship every week together. Um, we worship in so many ways, not just through singing, but also through activities and service. And, you know, you even come and worship when you come to Bible studies or participate in learning. And I want to just put a few things before us that are coming up. Uh, there's a couple women's Bible studies that you'll find in the bulletin that you'll want to look at and, and consider participating in, you women. Uh, uh, it's digging into the Word of God. And last hour I said when I present a Bible study that's coming up, I don't want you to just hear it as something that's just sort of coming into our calendar year and it's a new opportunity. But for many of us, Bible studies and participating in the relationships around the Word of God are life-changing, aren't they? And they're opportunities not just to intake, but also to offer words of encouragement and um, input to the class as well. So consider being a part of those things. There's a men's night out, and it's a month away, but I want to mention it now just so you can put it on your calendar. It's February the 18th. It's a Friday night. It's something that Kent Huey has sort of spearheaded uh, year after year and want to just invite you to participate in that. It's another opportunity to fellowship and to fellowship around, uh, I don't know, learning skills. I went last year and was kind of new to Alaska, but there are great um, sort of offerings in that men's night out, how to fly fish, how to I don't know, build a plane. I'm not sure. All the different things that, uh, that we can do, but it's also centered around fellowship and the Word of God. Rich Long presented last uh, year, and it was very, very good. Um, good time in the Word and good fellowship. Also, the next morning will be the Alaska Men's Ministry Men's Summit. That's going to be over at Change Point, and I'm going to be one of the presenters, but you should come anyway. It's, um, it's a good, good time together for fellowshipping with men from all across Anchorage and beyond to uh, be in your word, be in God's word. So that's on Saturday the 19th as well. Also, in a couple weeks, we have uh, some baptisms, so I want you to be praying for... Um, People's participation there in a couple weeks will be observing baptism. You know, just like we observe the Lord's table and we are exposed to the gospel in a unique way through the elements, by observing baptism, you are participating in that same gospel witness. It's, it's identifying with new believers who are saying we are following the Lord in the first step of obedience and we are here to affirm them as part of the body of Christ. And so, baptism isn't something that you just show up to and see, it's something that you are also participating in. So, be praying towards baptisms that are coming up weekend after next. And also, if the Lord has laid it on your heart that you need to follow the Lord in obedience and be baptized, I would encourage you to do so. There's still time even to be baptized in a couple weeks by just coming and seeing me or Pastor Ron or another pastor here. And uh, we'll sit down with you, we'll counsel you through uh, this step of obedience, we'll talk through the significance of baptism. We do have information over on the table, and we would love to help you follow through in um, that step. At this time, I want to offer um, or invite up uh, Nate Davis. He's um, one of my favorite colleagues here, is coming up. He is a pastor and also superintendent, so he wears both hats uh, simultaneously. Um, with both hands tied behind his back, and um, we, we just uh, enjoy fellowship together every week, talking about the mission of the church and the mission of the school, 
seeing them synergize and come together for the glory of God. And so uh, Nate's going to lead off with the announcement. All right. Thank you, Jeff. It's been my privilege to get to know our pastor over the last 18 months or so. And uh, as your pastor for Christian education, I have the privilege of serving as a superintendent of Grace Christian School, where our vision and our commission is to educate leaders who have a passion for Jesus Christ. And we uh, remind ourselves what that means with an acronym that's A-L-I-T-E. It's a Christian leader is a light. And A stands for abides in Christ. L is for loves learning. I is for initiates godly action. T is thrives under hardship, which you'll be talking about today. E is for educating others, Christian leaders. And we have grown, uh, and our passion is to continue to grow in this area. As we look at 630 students and 60 faculty and staff, my heart is to grow in each of these areas, and yet, understandably, my attention, I think understandably, my attention is divided in that way. For over 20 years, I've watched high school seniors go off to college and come back. They go off to state universities, colleges, Bible colleges, and after about 10 or 12, 15 years of watching this, a certain college came to mind as as, uh, these 22-year-olds were coming back and were so grounded in their faith, were so sharp in their doctrine and theology that I had to wonder what really was going on there. And so we investigated that, and that is the Master's College. And other Christian colleges are doing a great job. I've never been to the Master's College myself, um, but I, there's this, this uh, tenor, this trend seemed to be happening. We, we actually got all the alumni we knew in town together a couple years ago just to describe, ask them to describe what was happening down there. Many things happen down there, but one of the things I think that has an incredible impact is John MacArthur's ministry at Grace Community Church and the spiritual oversight that he and the elders have over the doctrine and the theology of that Christian college. And so as Jeff and I visited over the last few months, and uh, his heart and passion obviously is for the church and all the ministries of the church, and certainly for Grace Christian School, that the doctrine here at the church and for the elders would be able to have that spiritual oversight of the school. So in a... In a uh, God-ordained series of events, we have a special announcement to make, and uh, one of our favorite people in both the church and the school will have a new position here, and I'll let Jeff make that announcement. I think I'm still mucked. Yeah, Leo Masters, and you know Leo and Heather as part of our church here, and also as a Bible teacher. For how many years has Leo taught? He's right there. What is it? Six? Six years teaching the Word of God. He's going to continue to do so at the high school level, a Bible teacher, a missions trip leader to Guatemala and other places and in the villages of Alaska. He's been a spiritual discipler here. He also is a graduate from the Master's College, the Master's Seminary, and he's part of, he's in the process of getting his doctorate from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and he's getting it in biblical Christian spirituality. And so it seemed like a, a natural fit for us because he's got such a heart and passion for our K-12 through ministry, and he's also been trained theologically, doctrinally, in the doctrine of the church and, and all of that for us to utilize him in a maximized way. And so um, we've sort of prayerfully considered this for about nine months. I'm talking to the elder board and also to the school board. There's been just some great unity around this decision um, to have Leo be the new dean of spiritual life um, as an extension of the elder board to the school. And uh, 
Leo is still hired by the school as a Bible teacher, but we are giving him a stipend now, sort of as a test case scenario, a, a test balloon for the next nine months to see how this goes. And so he is, um, he is acting as dean 10, 10 hours a week, helping us to think through things theologically together, doctrinally, our, our mission of discipleship, how the chapel services are going, how the Bible classes are going, and just trying to create a, a like-kind atmosphere from the pulpit all the way through our school. And it's a great way for our elder board to extend its heart to um, our ministry here and to love um, everything that's going on from kindergarten classes all the way through 12th grade. We just have a heart for our school and the journey that it's on. And so this is one way that we can further participate in what's happening. So Leo, come on up. And we, what we want to do now is pray for you and sort of both lay hands on you symbolically to initiate um, this together. Why don't you begin? Father God, we just come before you together this morning and are excited about this new phase in Leo's life. And thank you for the reinforcements I will feel, just uh, oversight of the uh, everything happening at the school uh, with mentorship and mm-hmm. discipleship and Bible teaching and just thank you for the uh, continued investment of Anchorage Grace Church into Grace Christian School and and this obvious effort here we just thank you that we can work together watch you at work in each of our lives I ask your special blessing on Leo and his family as I know he's a busy guy already and yet his heart is for ministry and for discipleship and I've just enjoyed working with him uh, since the 90s at Tanana Bible Camp, and just uh, pray that you would bless him in this new venture and with his schooling and as a, a dad with young children and with Heather. Just ask your blessing on them. You multiply their time. Give them peace and rest, and we look forward to what you will do through this new position. Father, I thank you for your sweet providence and how you allow for people to come into our lives like Leo and Lord Part of this position was shaped around his character and his willingness to and availability to serve um, our church and to, to make himself available um, as an extension of our elder board and as an extension of us to what happens um, the rest of the week here. There's so much busyness, there's so much activity academically, um, in physical education, through sports, through fine arts. And Lord, um, we want to just put our accent mark on the Word of God and on truth. And we thank you for Grace Christian School and how well it's done historically, how well it's doing now. And Lord, we want it to excel still more and reach greater heights and greater depths in terms of the Word and worship. And I thank you for Leo. Thank you for Heather and for her sacrifice um, to have her husband do more ministry um, through this time. And I pray that you would... Encourage them as a family as well as has already been prayed. We just pray that with their new child and, and their lives together, that, Lord, you would encourage them and let them flourish here in ministry. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, men. All right, now I want us to take a little stretch break and to be challenged to get up and meet and greet for a few moments. Let's stand up and just say hi to each other.
All right. Let's uh, take our seats again. <coughs> We're going to be open up to James, the book of James, and I am beyond excited to start this study in one of my favorite books of the Bible. This perhaps is one of the most foundational books of the Bible for my life because it opens up the whole issue of having a faith that's genuine, authentic, alive, and happening, and our faith addresses every area of our lives. And so I am excited for this book because it is utterly practical, and it is utterly um, accessible in terms of putting it into practice even today. James chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Follow as I read. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials, meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, if you're like me, You've been through a storm or two. And I'm not just talking about internal storms, things that we suffer through, but I'm talking about actual physical storms. I'm talking about storms where you've been driving along and you've been debating as to whether or not you should pull off and sit underneath the overpass with the hazards on, right? And you kind of bypass those people and think, man, they're wimping out. You know, you just keep driving. Whether it's icy roads, whether it's a blizzard, whether it's sheets of rain, you know, tumultuous wind storms where you feel like you're going to get blown off the road. Maybe, maybe you are a pilot and you've piloted an airplane or you've uh, captained a ship. And you think, man, I don't know if I should go around the storm or go through the storm, but it seems most logical for me to actually go through the storm. As a a kid, or I should say a a college kid, I was a surfer, and I used to surf on the Outer Banks of North Carolina. And I was at this place one time, and it was during sort of a pre-hurricane storm swell, and it was me and some buddies out there, and we were sort of off on our own and trying to catch some waves, and they were big. And we were being swept along, though, by a pretty significant rip current where we really had no option all of a sudden to go in or, or to really sit still. You couldn't fight the current, and you couldn't, you couldn't re- help the fact that you were being carried down the coastline. All of a sudden, we look to the north of us, and there's a pier there. So sometimes you would travel half a mile or quarter mile, and you could not stop yourself from going in that direction. And this was one of those times. And all of a sudden, we were faced with the reality that we were going to be swept through the pier or into the pier, the pylons, which are, you know, surrounded with barnacles and all kinds of things that could cut you up. So we just had to accept it and embrace the moment, grab our surfboards, get as small as you could, and go through the pylons of the pier and come out on the other side. And we did so, and we all survived. But it was one of those illustrations in my mind that tells me that sometimes you can't help but go through a storm situation. The weather is not going to yield. And that's how it is in the spiritual life. That's how it is as a Christian. God has designed for you and for me to go through certain trials, through certain storms. Not around, but actually through them. That's James chapter 
1. This book of the Bible is, it's a study on faith. It's a study on how faith is alive and active, or it should be. And in particular, James, the half-brother of Jesus, is writing to Christians who were coming out of a Jewish background, a Jewish heritage. Verse 1 says that they were known as the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 tribes, connecting them to the 12 patriarchs. And so these Jewish believers were people who were basically kicked out of their family situations for their faith. They actually embraced the Messiah, and so their parents or their family members didn't like that because they didn't like Jesus, and all of a sudden a family member does, so they would kick them out of Palestine. And this sort of being ostracized out of your family and thrown out of Palestine effect is called, in verse 1, the dispersion. Now, have you ever heard of the diaspora that's what this, this is. It was, the diaspora was an event in history where, where Jews and Christians were scattered abroad outside of Israel. And that's what James is addressing here. Very much like how the Jewish people were taken into captivity, Babylonian captivity and Assyrian captivity in the Old Testament. Well, now after Jesus had come, there was another effect in like kind, and James is addressing that. And he's saying, you've been literally blown in the wind away from your families. And you're hurting because of that. You're suffering. A lot of people suffered job loss during this time. They were were known as poor people. And James is going to address these Christians as poor people. They were being abused and hurt by rich people or wealthy people. And the dispersion or the diaspora actually is a a metaphor or a word picture of a flower like a dandelion where the wind blows the spore seeds all around. So they were scattered outside of their comfort zone. This is who James is writing to. This book of the Bible, I just want to say, is not a New Testament version of the Proverbs. Though it's proverbial and it's, it's nuggets of wisdom, this is more importantly a letter given to the early church, the earliest letter in the New Testament scripture given to the church, which was a hurting church. It was written in AD 45, and they were hurting, and they were needing a word from God. And they were getting this word from God from James, which is the half-brother of Jesus. Not to be confused with the apostle James, uh, John's brother, because that James was martyred, as Acts 12.2 puts it, but killed by King Herod, and he couldn't have written this book. And so the James that's left for us is the half-brother of Jesus, the one that was mentioned in Galatians 1.19 as the Lord's brother. He would have been a half-brother, along with his other brothers in John 7, who, before they believed, actually mocked Jesus. They were mocking him in John 7, saying, hey, go to the Feast of Tabernacles. Show your gifts if you're really the Messiah. That's the tone of the half-brothers before they were converted. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, 5 through 8, it talks about how Jesus appeared to Peter. Remember after he was raised from the dead, he went and saw Peter to reaffirm him. And then he appeared to the 12, and then he appeared to more than 500 at one time, which could be where he's talking um, in Matthew 28, giving the Great Commission. But then it says in verse 7, then he appeared to James, to James. That's this man. And this is a clear indication that the half-brother of Jesus believed. He saw his brother raised from the dead, who all of a sudden became his Messiah. 
his Lord. He was a key leader in the church. Galatians 2 talks about how James was a pillar in the church. He's sort of spoken of in the book of Acts chapter 12 in the same context as Peter and his leadership. And so James was elevated early in the church, in the church, this hurting church. And he wants to give this church some pastoral help because the church was suffering early on. And in verses 2 through 4, we're going to see two disciplines, two disciplines which carry Christians through storms. Two disciplines that carry Christians through storms. Now, this is sort of my outline header, and I struggled to figure out what the best plural noun I should use there. Two disciplines, you know, is it two steps? Is it, is it two choices? Is it two decisions? But the only word I could get to try to capture the gravity of this is disciplines. Disciplines. Because Christians are called to mentally discipline themselves to persevere and make it through tough situations and circumstances. You follow what I'm saying? It's a discipline. This is a decision of the will. By God's grace, as you are energized by the power of the Holy Spirit to struggle through difficult times. Look at verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Stop right there. Count. That word count is a mind word. It's the idea of using your God-given mind and faculties to make a disciplined decision to view, to view the trial through God's perspective. The first discipline here is indeed that it's gaining God's perspective as you go through a trial. If you want to sort of learn it as, as I have learned it and used this outline in my own life, you could say it this way. I need to gain the right perspective. Something's happening. I need to gain the right perspective about what's happening in my life. Count. It's a thinking word. There's four thinking words in verses 2 through 4. Look at verse 3. For you know. And then verse 3 at the end. Producing steadfastness. The word steadfastness there, I'll explain um, as we get there, is a mindset word. And then in verse 4 it's repeated, steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect. That's a mindset word. So four words in a row speaking to our minds. And isn't the mind the battleground for spiritual life and development? Isn't that true? In our minds or our hearts or in our souls is the deepest areas of sins. And yet, in our minds, is, is the place where we fight those sins and experience the greatest levels of God's grace. We know Christ in the inner man. We worship through our minds, through our thinking. We do. Now, look at verse 2 again. Count it all joy. Look at those words, all joy, for a second. These are the words that sort of tripped me up this week when I studied this text. I preached this sermon a few times before. All joy. I just began to meditate on that idea, that level of spirituality. And thought, man, can I live this out and can I convey this to the congregation, to the people that we need to have all joy when something tough is going on in our lives? The, word, the words all joy 
um, convey the idea of an unmixed joy. You're not oil and water joy. You are pure joy. It would have to be by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit's got to enter into our hearts and give us the fruit of the Spirit that's all joy. It's easier to say something like this. You know, I, I can live kind of rejoicing and struggling a little bit. I'm going to still reserve the right to struggle and, and, or rejoice and be a little bit bitter over it. But all joy? That's tough. Last night, for instance, and this isn't a commercial for people to come over and help me with this dilemma, but last night I'm sitting um, in my kitchen and I was, we were kind of cleaning up. We're going to have some people over and, you know, Judy ended up being sick this morning, like pretty severely. So she's home. So that's off. But, you know, we, I'm kind of setting up and all the kids are being washed upstairs and, you know, the, the bathtub is, you know, full swirl, full go. And, you know, there's just water everywhere. All of a sudden I hear this splashing down stairs and I'm thinking what what is that is somebody crumpling paper you know in the other room I'm all alone down here I'm kind of ignoring it and I thought I better not ignore some foreign noise that's in the dining room and I just see this trickle effect it's it's like a miracle a waterfall is coming down through the chandelier it was amazing and I thought wow this is not good you know and and so we call off the bath and you know drain the tub you know and all that's going on but I'm thinking at the same time I need to have all joy you're right I can't have mostly joy or I'm joyful tomorrow joy I need to be full joy right now because God did this God is allowing for circumstances to happen in my life even ones that are pretty benign like that that's that's not really a trial that would relate to what these Christians were going through or what you are presently going through there are depths of trial but there is the call here still nevertheless to have all joy when you meet trials stop there look at the word when you've heard it before it's not if a trial is going to come your way it's when if you're if your nose is pretty clean right now and you're not under the water it's when it's coming it's coming this is how you can be equipped for trials that are coming or equipped to respond for the trial you are already undergoing it's trials that you meet it's it's meeting them in other words they're ones that overwhelm you all of a sudden like the parable of the good samaritan where the man fell amongst thieves it's the same verb there it's the idea of you falling into a trial or all of a sudden being ganged up upon surrounded by tough times job 5 7 says man is born for trouble as the sparks fly upward and wasn't job born for some trouble it's being suddenly surrounded when you're surrounded by trials we're not called here to just sort of superficially in an adrenalized way jump for joy but instead we're supposed to have a joy that is god-centered where you are trusting that god is in complete control you know, in Job 1, for instance, when he found out that his family, that his children had been killed, I mean, that kind of takes the, the tragedy level to its zenith. I mean, it washes away from all, all the other things that were ripped away from him. What did he do? He bowed before the Lord, face down, prostrate before the Lord, shaved his head to symbolize looking like a helpless baby and said naked I came into this world naked I'll leave blessed be the name of the Lord you know what that was 
that wasn't him falling apart. That was him bowing in controlled, complete submission. And as believers, that's what all joy looks like. It's the deep-seated resolve that God is in control, that behind every dark cloud, cloud, there is the light of God's grace in the background. So we obey this command, verse 2. That's gaining God's perspective. And then you obey it by observing the benefits of what God is doing in your life through this obedience. If the obedience of counting it all joy, left out verse 3, it, was just, it would just be raw legalism. It would just be setting your jaw and saying like the world does, I'm going to drive through this trial and circumstance in my own strength, right? But Christians get a window into what God is doing in the soul while the pressure is hitting us from the outside. We get to see God's heart surgery that he's doing in us while we are undergoing pressure. Look at verse 3. You count it joy, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. We're aware of something. We know that God's making us more like Jesus as we go through the testing of our faith. And something's produced in us. What is it? It's the idea of steadfastness. It's steadfastness. In some of your translations, it would be endurance or perseverance. Now, this is more than just something that is being produced in you, this word steadfastness is a word picture of the mindset that you're supposed to have during a trial. It's a word picture, it is. The word steadfastness in the original language, the original Greek is hupa mone. Hupa means to bear under. Mone means to remain. Mone is the same word used in John 15 that Jesus used. It's where he's talking about the vine and the branches and how we are supposed to abide in the vine. Jesus is the vine and as a branch we abide in him. That word abide is mone. It's to remain. It's to stick there. And in our mindsets, often we can say, man, life is really hard. And we live in this world of, you know, escapes and trapdoors where we can either go to the movies or watch the show or forget about this. Or, you know, even we can, we can create forms of depression and categories of sorrow where we can sort of nurse, nurse our aches and pains by, by being depressed about this and completely ignoring a trial where God is working in your life, right? We can sort of substitute anxieties, We can play all kinds of games with ourselves to escape what God is doing in our lives. And instead, he calls us to count it joy and to to remain in a mindset where you say, I am bearing up under a trial and you're working, strengthening me, and you're working in me all the while. Hupamone, sort of in its most vivid word picture, would, would play out as a weightlifter, you know, if you're into that or if you watch that in weightlifting competitions or whatever, it's the guy who's, who's, you know, he's hoisted the weights above his head and he's holding them there for a period of time. It's the idea that God has put you in a position where you are under weight and you are supposed to persevere there, but while you're persevering under the weight, what is, what's happening to your muscles? They're actually being strained, but they're also being strengthened. He's producing strength in you while you're under the struggle. That's the picture here. Verse 4 carries it further. But before we get there, let me read 1 Peter 1. Turn in your Bibles maybe to 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7. This is the sister text to James 1, 1 through 4. It's very much similar. 
He says, in this you rejoice. You rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise, in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What Peter is doing, just like James is, he's saying, listen, here's, a, here's another word picture. You can rejoice that your faith is being tested because just like how gold, when it's heated up, makes the impurities rise to the sur- surface so that the dross can be scraped off, there's a purification process in your life. Your faith is being strengthened. You can rejoice in the trial because you know that. You have confidence that God is working in your life, making you stronger and stronger in your faith even until the day of the Lord Jesus where you'll stand before him. He's cleaning us up. He's working out the areas in our lives where we are not trusting the Lord. It's like when the disciples were in the boat with Jesus and the storms and wind and waves were breaking the boat apart when Jesus was down in the hull asleep. He was exhausted. And the disciples, if you harmonize Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are saying all kinds of comments. Lord, wake up. You know, don't you care? Why don't you wake up? And Jesus is sort of, you know, waking up and obviously totally exhausted to be ignoring the storm. But the question he asks the disciples is, where's your faith? And he wasn't asking them whether they had faith, but the actual language is, where's the faith of you? Where's the faith that's inside you? Where, where is that? Why isn't that active right now? And so when we have trials, God is activating a faith response that we need to put on display. Well, we're to gain the right perspective by obeying the command and observing the benefits. And then secondly, in verse 4, we're to maintain God's perspective. Gain the right perspective, maintain the right perspective. It's one thing to get it for a second and then forget about it. And it's another thing to actually get under the weight, see it as a good thing, see that the Lord's working in your life and persevere through the storm. That's what verse 4 is saying. It's a command. And let steadfastness have its full effect. Let this mindset have its full effect. Let this work itself out in you. Why? Because you observe the benefit that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James is saying, look, you started the marathon here. Now stick with the race all the way through the 26th mile. Stick it out. That's what he's saying. Stay under the pile. Otherwise, your growth is going to be stunted. And if you look at this context here, verses 1 through 12 is all talking about persevering to the end. And actually, verse 12 picks up the race picture. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. The crown of life is the laurel wreath that Olympic or you know, Greek, Greco-Roman runners would receive as they cross the finish line. Of the race. I was watching a marathon documentary one time. That's about as close as I've come to running a marathon. And, uh, you know, I know it's 26 miles long. I just can't imagine how you get there. But I was watching the documentary, and uh, it was on guys who run marathons, not up and down Mount Marathon with, with rocks coming after them, but actually just trying to survive the 26 miles. And it was a guy who was miked that was running the race, and he was running it all the way to the end, but he was 
explaining why some people pull out of the race before they finish. And so he's sidling up next to a guy, running and talking to a guy. And within five minutes, he was beginning to perceive that the runner was really trying to talk himself out of finishing the race. And the guy, in the course of conversation, started to bite his words and huff and puff. And ultimately, his mental stick-to-itiveness, his, his mental commitment to finish the race waned. And he begged off and was sidelined. He pulled out. Why did he pull out? Do you think he could have physically made it? Probably. The guy looked like he was doing fine at the beginning of the conversation. Physically, he had trained. He was, he was on go to finish the race. It was, he broke, but what happened is he broke down mentally. He couldn't mentally stick it out. And so often in the Christian life, that's where the battleground is, right? It's not just in the physical doing, going through the motions of a hard marriage, going through the motions of parenting issues, going through the motions of a broken relationship. You can't go through the motions and grow spiritually, right? James and God's word and Jesus Christ himself is calling us to gain a Godward perspective and see that God is working in our lives as we stick it out as we persevere in our minds and actions. A faith that works, but it begins with our faith. When we do this, it brings a full effect. It means God is working, that we may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Perfect means that that we'll we'll finish. The word perfect is telos. It's the goal or the end that we're going to finish the race. We're going to be perfected. Complete is the idea of a general rounding out of our character. The idea there is that as the pressure is on us, different areas are shooting up that we thought that we'd already resolved that really are still needing some attention. You ever experienced that? You know, you, as a single person, maybe you became a Christian and, and you say, man, you know, I've kind of, I've, I've resolved that area in my life now. I'm so glad I don't worry anymore or I don't, I don't ever get out of control anymore. And then you get married to another sinner And then you mix it up again and everything sort of recalibrates. Your spiritual deck is reshuffled and you see the the cards laid out again of sins that you need to deal with. And then you you multiply some children into your life or a job or a sticky situation and you go, wow, I thought I was this guy and I'm really still that guy, you know. That's what the Lord does through pressure, through pressure. But it doesn't have to stay that way. We gain the right perspective and we maintain the right perspective and we persevere through by observing that the Lord is working and is in complete control of our lives. Now, what I want to do is take a few minutes and share a song with you. I'm not going to sing it, I promise. I do, I promise. I, uh, it's a song that was written and sung by Andrew Peterson, and he's not a, a widely known Christian artist, but my wife and I really love him, and he has written a lot of songs. He sounds like Rich Mullins or sort of a Wayne Watson um, type of singer where he tells stories about the Christian life. Uh, back when we were early parents, a lot of his songs ministered to us because he relates stories about raising children and having a God-centered perspective. But Judy, the other night, was like literally two weeks ago, was upstairs and she was outside of where we had put our kids down to bed. She often mans posts there, right, to keep them in bed. We haven't, you know, haven't put safety belts in our beds yet, but we should because our kids get up. You know, what's the hungriest animal in Alaska or the most thirsty animal in Alaska? It's a child that's just been put down to bed, right? So, so anyway, that's, 
that's our experience. She's up there, but she typically flips her laptop up and listens to songs and was listening to songs by Andrew Peterson. And she did not know that the words to a song that she loved already and had listened to for several times and maybe 20 or 30 times that this song was all about Alaska. And so she's, Jeff, come up here. You got to hear the song. It's about Alaska and it's about persevering in ministry. So I thought, what better song to sort of relate to this text now? So we've got the words up there. Let's just listen to it for a few moments. We touched down on the sound at the top of the world in the land of the midnight sun. The frozen river melts away and breaks into a run Into the sea, into the mighty waves That waited just to see it From a long way off that river thought And the tide ran out to meet it Welcome home, unfrozen river, welcome home Cause all shall be well, yeah, all shall be well of hell, still all manner of things will be well. See the quiet hearts of the children of the children of this land. They have stayed alive in the day long night by the fires that warm their hands. There is a wilderness inside them It is dark and thick and deep Oh, and beside the fire The heart of that wood There's a precious missing sheep So go on in Hold your torch and let it shine Cause all shall be well Yeah, all shall be well Break the chains of the gates of hell Still all manner of things Of hell. Stay- 
thought that was a, a fitting song, and I thought it was pretty good. It's kind of Alaskan, and I'm sure he must have come up on a missions trip to be impressed by the, the children of this land and probably was struck by Alaska in general, but I love the way he tied together um, the different effects of the river running and the, uh, just the cloud being the cloud of witnesses that's encouraging us to go on. Now it's going to be well. That's, that's based out of a promise in Scripture that we can persevere to the finish line. Here's some take-home points just as we close. Uh, number one, it's safe to assume people are suffering in various degrees. I want to encourage you, with a message like this, take this to your own heart, but don't leave it there. Think about other people in terms of their need to gain God's perspective and maintain it. We were never called to run the race by ourselves, were we? No. 1 Corinthians 10.13 talks about how no temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man. So whatever you're going through, everybody else is going through as well in varying degrees and varying scenarios. And so we need to shed light um, that God's word promises a way of escape, a way to endure through it. Number two, you cannot control trials. You can obey God's commands, though. And so, again, we can't control our circumstances, we can't rewrite history, we can't dictate the present, but we can choose to have a disciplined mind. The battleground's there, the joy that we can experience is a product of faith and discipline. It is. You say, I'm not a joyful person. Well, you have to be this kind of joyful person. It's not temperament-driven. You might say, I'm not that personality, I'm not that guy, I'm not that gal. But this is faith-related joy. This is the joy that's down deep. Thirdly, I want to just define for you the difference between depression and joy. This is a definition I heard one time, and it sort of stuck with me. I thought I would share it with you, and I thought it was helpful. Depression is the distance between your expectations and your hard circumstances. Think about that. Depression is that difference, that that area between what you expected in life, what you wanted that you're not getting. And it's even harder than you would want it, even though you haven't gotten your ideal life. Well, that's depression when you live there. Joy, on the other hand, is the distance between your hard circumstances and your longing to be like Christ. Because all of a sudden, your hard circumstances are redefined as the sort of foundry, the, the, the refiner's fire, the tough race that you're running, which is part of your Christ-likeness. All right, number four. This is just to cap off our time. Christians are called to move through, not around trials. Just remember, whatever you have laid before you, you're supposed to go through it. And by going through it, you'll see the yield in your life spiritually. You will. You don't have to go through it together, though, and I just want to encourage you now, if you are struggling, if you need help, if you need counsel, we want to be here for you. Come see us, see us at the information table, or me, or other pastors. Don't go through your journey alone. Connect with friends as well. Build each other up in the faith. Next week, um, verse 5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. That wisdom that we ask for relates directly back to gaining God's perspective in trials. And so God is with us. He'll help us through whatever we're handling, whatever we're struggling through. 
God will get us there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time in your word. It is the bread of life. It gives us promises. It gives us hope. Lord, deliver us from temptation. Let us follow you by persevering. I pray, God, that we would not want to escape, but we would want to persevere through and under what you've given to us. Lord, you are faithful. You are the faithful high priest. You are the shepherd. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And your promise in Matthew 28 that you will never leave us or forsake us, that you are with us always, even unto the end of the age, that is real. That is our life. We thank you for your commitment to us because, Lord, we are committed to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand up together. For our final closing, just want to, again, thank you for coming. Thank you for eating of the Word of God and feeding this morning. And we want to be available to you to resource you. If you have have questions about Bible studies or upcoming events, um, see us over here. See me up front. Also, if you, if the Lord somehow has touched you and you're thinking about following the Lord in believer's baptism, I would encourage you to do that. That was something I did in my testimony. I actually was baptized um, as I began seminary because I had realized that I had not been baptized after I was converted at 17, and I needed to do that. And I followed the Lord in obedience, and the Lord blessed me um, in that regard, and so um, Be ready in two weeks. We're going to have baptisms. Be praying for those candidates, but also if the Lord is touching your heart to be baptized, we want to be a part of that process for you. Well, go in grace and peace and have a wonderful Lord's Day.